Well, if, I, if I'm sitting in my living room down in the big city of Valir, and my wife and son are there with me, and, and a storm comes, and, and there's torrential rains and, and wind blowing all over the place like crazy, and, 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 the, and the Mahoney Creek starts to seep and, 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 and overflow, and it's coming slowly through the woods, and it's making its way towards our house and towards all of our neighbors' houses, and all, all my neighbors are running for their fishing boats to survive, and I don't have a fishing boat, so I'm just holding on, hoping that I'm going to be okay, maybe sitting on my roof hoping that my foundation is going to hold and we're not going to float away and down the creek. It's nice to know that when I look at my foundation, I see that it is solid. I see that it is built in a way that is going to be able to, to weather the storm, that the blocks and the concrete and the bedrock underneath of that is firm because I don't want to be the guy who loses his whole house and has to go down the creek in his fishing boat. I want to be the guy, like in the video, that just walked out and straightened up his mailbox, you know? Like, that's all I want to lose. Like, if I just have to straighten my mailbox after the hurricane comes through, I'm pretty good with that. And in my faith, I want that to be the same. When storms come, when doubts come, when skeptics attack, when sickness creeps in, when loved ones pass away, I want to know that my faith is built on a solid foundation because no matter how frightening, no matter how scary, no matter how hard, I want to know I'm standing firm. Amen. I want to know that I'm ready, that I've done everything that I can to be at a place where I'm going to make it. So my question to you, what you saw in the video is how firm is the foundation that you're building for yourself and how do we build it? What's that look like? What does that mean to us? At the end of his most famous sermon in all of Scripture, the longest recorded scripture, or longest recorded sermon of Jesus in the Bible is called the Sermon on the Mount. And at the end of that sermon, this conclusion, he tells this story, the story of two men, two men who had the same starting point, the same the same opportunities, heard the same teachings, the same external everything. And in the end, we find that they built very different lives because when the storm came, one of them survived and one of them washed away with the sand and with the water. I want to read this parable, and then I want to look back at why Jesus even said this, what what led him to share this? What was the context before he got there that took us to where he said, I need to share this as well? And then I want to look at what that means for us in our faith and how we can kind of put some, some roots to that and some actions to that. So if you brought your Bibles, I want you to open to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Jesus just spent a whole bunch of time explaining lifestyle expectations, uh, traits that he wants to see in his followers. He wants to know if you're going to walk around and you're going to say, I'm with Jesus. Okay, he says, these are things I expect from you. This is some things, these are some do's and don'ts of, of Christianity, of living under my grace and my following. And it's not that the grace goes away, but these are some do's and don'ts of what I expect from you. This is the standard. So, um, if any of you grew up in Sunday school or grew up in church, um, you're probably going to recognize this story. This is a very common Sunday school story. 
Uh, it's real easy because it's got the, the pictures already drawn in there for you. Um, but if you haven't, that's okay because we just saw it on the video and we're going to read it now. Uh, Matthew 7, 24 through 27. This is Jesus speaking. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and it beat on the house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Uh, oftentimes, when we're reading the Bible or uh, really watching a, a movie or reading a story, a novel or something, uh, an event will occur and, and, uh, or a truth is taught that changes the course of the characters' lives. And whenever you see that, when that happens, it, or something major that jumps out to you, it, it serves us good to, to say, okay, so why, why is that there? What got us here? Why did Jesus say that? Why, why that illustration? Why that story? How does this connect with the rest of the story? Um, and, and, and how do we know how that benefits our lives? What sparked this teaching for these first listeners who we're not that different from? See, leading up to this verse, the Sermon on the Mount is chapter 5 through chapter 7. That's a pretty long message of explaining lifestyle expectations and traits for the believer. And we don't have time to read all of it, but uh, I want to give you a, a brief overview and then look at the conclusion again, because, because I, I, I mean, as somebody who writes and, and, and preaches sermons uh, weekly, uh, I, I, you know, I can see where Jesus would be coming from this, and he'd be like, hey, you know, that's great, you know, use that, teach from that, but, but, but don't just rip out my conclusion every time and not think about why we got there. So if I preach a sermon and you're like, I liked the last five minutes, so I'm going to take this, I'd kind of like to say, well, well, here's what got us there. Like we presented a problem and, and we, we, we drew up a standard and, and we fixed the problem and, and, we, and we like to just take, okay, so here's how I fix the problem, but we forget, okay, so what is the problem? So why, why are we here? How do we ask, fix, and imagine if we never ask and presented that there's a problem? So rather than pulling this out, I want to take a moment and just highlight for you what kind of traits and expectations that Jesus gave us in the Sermon on the Mount and, and how God teaches us that he blesses those who, whose lives mirror these qualities and whose lives have these, uh, ha, who, who's people who live this way. And a lot of the things that Jesus said are in direct contradiction with what the world would think or what, what somebody outside of Christianity or outside of Christendom would, would see, they, they would say, well, that doesn't make any sense because God's values often clash with the world's values. It turns everything on its head, but they're absolute truths of God, and it's God speaking to us and showing us what it, what, who he is and what he wants from us. So, for example, Jesus is teaching, and he says things like this. The world values pride and personal independence, but, but Jesus taught that blessed are those who re realize their need for God. The world values happiness for me at any cost. 
It's all about me, 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 I, 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 I got this. I'm gonna, it's my career, my life, my car, my house, my wife, and happiness at any cost. All about me being great, all about me being happy. But Jesus taught, blessed are those who mourn, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And the world teaches us power, power, power. Climb the chain, get the best job, become the senator, become the president. Power, power, power. But Jesus taught, blessed are the humble. Blessed are the meek. And then after he does that, he, he goes down this path and he kind of hits on what we would probably consider extreme sins. And, and he, he, he turns a lot of those on their head, these things that we don't like to talk about. And he's like, well, you've been doing this, but let me tell you why this is, you're not quite handling this correctly. And he, he says things like this, just a quick highlight. He says, it's not enough to avoid killing people. I want you to avoid anger and hatred. It's not enough to give God gifts. I want, he wants your heart. And it's not enough to avoid adultery. It's not enough to avoid cheating. It's keep your heart from lust and be faithful to your spouse because you might as well have done it anyway. And it's not enough to be legally married and married in the church, but you gotta fulfill your commitment. These are standards. It's not enough to seek justice for yourself, but show mercy and love to others. And he's, he's, in some ways, he's raising the bar of expectation because it's now it's not just all these physical things that I am not supposed to do, because that's pretty easy, right? I mean, you tell me not to kill somebody. I'm, I'm, I got that, right? I mean, it's probably not going to happen on purpose. But he says, you know, that hatred, you might as well have already done it. But as Jesus taught, He's pointing out what kinds of lives he would require of his followers. He's laying a groundwork of expectations who, for those who claim to be with him, who agree with him, who, who, who submit to his lordship for their life. He says, this is what I expect, that the lifestyle of the saved shouldn't resemble the lifestyle of the unsaved. That, you know, you're going you're gonna to do all the normal things that you have to do to survive in our economy and in our world, that you're going to have a job, you're going to wear clothes, you're going to eat, you're going to have a house and a car and a family. You do all those things, but these things, these traits, these expectations, these are things that need to be different than the non-believer. And, and there's this, there's a wholeness of life in the gospel that we lose if we pull things out too many into too many small pieces. See, now hear me on this. Jesus teaches some hard truths there, but all of it is wrapped in grace. Because if anybody had to do everything that he said perfectly, none of us would ever achieve heaven. None of us would ever, we can't earn heaven, it has to be a gift, and we can't completely live up to it, but he's saying, this is an expectation I have and when we look at Jesus' teachings, we can, we can see two, sometimes see contradictory things uh, if we just pull pieces out. And what I mean by that is, in one way, Jesus is raising the holiness bar by pointing out that, that you've mishandled the law, you're not doing it right, so, so it's not just the act of murder that's sin, but it's also the anger and the hatred that caused you to murder, but no, remember, grace, mercy, forgiveness, bloodshed to cover all sin. So there's a standard there, but let's not forget the grace. Let's not forget the mercy. We're here to love people, wrap our arms around those who have failed, because we all have sin. We have all failed. So we see that, that God raised the bar, but we also see 
that in another way he instituted grace, that he lowered the holiness bar by offering unmerited grace, grace you can't deserve, you cannot earn. So, so then you could look at that and you say, okay, so God raised the bar, but then he lowered the bar and now we've got grace. So none of this really matters. And like it says in the book of Romans, it says, well, let's just sin more, sin more, sin baby sin so that grace can abound, grace can grow. We want more grace from God. So to get more grace from God, I just have to sin more, right? But the Bible quickly turns that on its head. That's the wrong approach to grace. The response to grace is holiness as your motivation because Jesus also said narrow is the gate to heaven. So we turn that on, the, on its head. Another way to say this, to more concise, we can pull teachings out of context and think that we'll never achieve acceptance in God's kingdom. So why do anything? Why even come to church, why even think about living morally? Or we can pull teachings out of context and think that we'll never be condemned. Grace is humongous, so sin, baby, sin. But oh no, the full scope of the gospel and the Sermon on the Mount is that when we accept forgiveness of our sins, he wants to know that we begin living as he's teaching and that is in response to the grace that he gives us. That is in response to forgiveness so that our response isn't sin more for more grace, it's sin less in our pursuit of holiness, sin less in our pursuit of being more like Christ and growing closer to him in our relationship with him. By living as he teaches, by doing what he teaches, we're building a firm foundation of faith that can weather any storm, any sickness, any challenge, any doubts that the devil and his workers send our way. We can build that. But the other side of the coin, the other side of the story is that if we hear the teaching, but go on living as we did before, we're building a fool's foundation that's going to crumble like a house of cards and and just the slightest breeze, the devil can swoop in and just real quick and light and, and everything comes crumbling down and our faith crashes. How firm are you in your foundation? What does that look like? I read a book years ago, uh, you may have heard of, uh, called Tortured for Christ. Tortured for Christ is a book written by Richard Wormbrand, who was the, uh, the preacher who was in Soviet Union, Russia, um, during some, when atheism was rolling and Christianity was illegal. And he's, he's the founder of uh, The Voice of the Martyrs, the persecuted church. Um, and uh, he tells a story in that book of a, of a house church that was meeting in secret because it's illegal to have church. They can't do what we do over there during this time period, and there's still a lot of countries like that. But they're meeting in this house church, and the, the Russian soldiers, the Soviet Union soldiers come in, and they're carrying their, you know, their guns, and, and, and they, everybody stands up, and they line them up, and they say, hey, if you're really with this Jesus, if you, then, then stay here. But if you're not, you can leave. I'm going to give you an opportunity. If you don't want to die for your faith today, you can leave. And after a whole bunch of people left and some remained, the soldiers put down their guns and say, okay, there's true worshipers, true worshipers here now. Let's worship. Because they 
were believers as well. And those who had not been building a firm foundation, those who weren't sold out, fully surrendered to Christ, they flew the coop. Like, I'm out of here. I'm not going to die for this. And here those guys were with them. It's a choice that you make. So what we see here in this parable is a tale of two lives with the same starting point, same opportunities, hearing the same teachings, but vastly different follow-up, vastly different outcomes. And the end result is built on a faith that has an immovable, solid bedrock foundation or a faith built on sand that can just run through your fingers and wash away. The wise man and the fool separated merely by a decision to do what Jesus says or not do what Jesus says and just dismiss it as a good idea. That sounds nice. That's tickling my ears. That's, but who really lives like that? Who really does that? That's just Jesus sharing some theory, right? That's just tossing it out there and, and, and I'm going to go a different route. Now, a parallel to this uh, would be like... Uh, Siblings, brother, sister, brother, brother, sister, sister, grow up in the same household, uh, same roles, same parents, same teaching, same school, uh, same church, same everything. But then 20, 40 years later down the road, you look at their lives and you wouldn't even know that they grew up the same way because one child grows up and says, I'm going to follow Jesus as well, or I'm going to live like my parents taught me to live. But then the other one grows up and says, I'm going to make my own path. I don't, I don't really get this. I, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not, going to, I'm not going to listen. I'm going to make my own way. They hear the same thing. They have the same foundation. They have the same roots. But one chooses their own path instead of doing what mom and dad said. It's the in one ear, out the other to respond by doing is the wisdom, but to respond by not doing is foolish. Instead, the fool, if you will, the fool says, well, yeah, that sounds like a good theory, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to make my own path. Mom and dad, I don't know if you know what you're talking about. Jesus, eh, yeah, sounds good, but who lives like that, right? I had a professor in college. I took a, I took a class called uh, World Religions, Great class. Learned a lot. I don't remember any of it, but I learned a lot at the time. And he told us that in Christianity had a a unique problem, and it was a uniquely Christian problem, according to him. He said he taught that Judaism, for example, is a religion of doing. It's a religion of the Old Testament is filled with laws you obey and rules that you follow uh, and boxes that you check in order to get a, a specific outcome, which would be God's favor or God's blessing. So it's do this, do this, and God will give you this. And, and there are standards in there that nobody could live up to, but, but, but you know, there's certain ones that rose to the top, the cream rises to the top, and you're like, okay, we're going to do this, do this, and God's going to bless us this way. I mean, you see that all throughout Scripture, but there's a lot of times when like, eh, I'm going to go over here anyway, right? That's the story of the Old Testament in a nutshell. But Christianity, he taught us, has always had this problem uh, that he referred to as, that's a nice theory but Jesus didn't actually want us to do that, did he? That's a great idea. We love to theorize. We love to talk about how our lives would be different if we actually did what the Bible said to do. But instead, we're all guilty at some point in our lives of saying, well, that's a pleasant idea. 
Let's talk about it. God says, go into the world and make disciples, preach the gospel to all nations. Well, that's a great idea. But isn't that for other people? Isn't that for people that are just called to missions? I, I don't even want to do that in my neighborhood. It's hard. We hear these ideas and we're like, oh, that sounds like a great idea. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think about that. I'm going to pray about that. But I don't want to, Jesus didn't really mean that, did he? There's a famous pastor author by the name of Francis Chan that you might have heard of. And he, 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 uh, he wrote, the, his, his most popular book is called Crazy Love, being uh, overwhelmed by a relentless God as God pursues uh, us in his love. Um, Chan has an excellent illustration about this, so I'm going to hijack it for the weekend. Um, just wanted to warn you about that. Uh, he says... He said, what if I ask my teenage daughter to clean her room and she said, Dad, that's a really good idea. I'm going to go up to my room and I'm going to sit on my bed. I'm going to think about that a while and, and wonder, you know, what would that look like if I really did clean my room? And, and I'll let you know my thoughts later. And, and, and a day passes and, and, and she she doesn't clean her room, but then she comes home from school and she's got a group of friends with her. And, and, and Chan was like, well, what are you doing with all these friends? What's, what's happening here? What, what's going on? Are you studying or something? And, and she's, oh, I invited some friends over. We're going to have a small group study uh, in my room about what it would look like if I cleaned my room. We're, we're going to talk about how this might improve my life, how this might improve the life of others, or, or how this is, you know, is going to draw me closer in my relationship with you, my dad, with you, dad. How cool is that? We're going we're gonna to study and we're going to meditate on your great commandment, clean thy room. This is awesome. Thank you, Dad, for telling me to do this. That would find a drive a father up the wall, wouldn't it? That, that I clearly said clean your room, and I don't want you to just sit around and talk about it. I, I, you know, talk about it some. Let's, let's, let's hash this out. Let's make sure that we're on the same page and we're doing this the way that Jesus told us to. But but we can't just talk. We have to do a little doing. I've been guilty of that. Have you been guilty of that? See, that was the mistake of the foolish builder. He didn't do it. He heard it. But he didn't listen. He didn't put action. He didn't follow through. But the Bible makes it clear throughout that we are to be doers of the word, not hearers only. I'll give you two examples. James 1.22 it says, be doers of the word, not hearers only. You're deceiving yourself. And then Jesus said in Luke 8, 21, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. A solid foundation is built on doing the word of God. Not just hearing, not just listening, not just coming to church and, oh, that tickles my ears, that sounds good. It's doing the word of God. And how do we do that? What's it look like? What's that like on the ground? What's that foundation come up to? See, most people, Christian and not Christian, you're, uh, you don't deliberately seek to build your foundation on a, a false or inferior foundation. Instead, they, they just don't think about life's purpose. We just don't think about what, what we should be doing to build a strong foundation so we're ready on the good days for whenever the bad days come. It's not stubbornness. It's oftentimes it's just thoughtlessness. It's just, well, I, I never really considered that I should be building a, a firm foundation in my faith. 
But part of our responsibility as Christians is to help others stop and think about where their lives are headed and to point them towards the point out the consequences of ignoring Christ's message. You don't accidentally build rock either. You don't accidentally build a rock foundation either. We have to know what to do before we can do. So, so we do that. I harp on that all the time. It's interaction with the word of God. It's interaction and diving into God's word and praying and saying, Lord, what do you have for me? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, how about looking at where Jesus said, follow me? What does it mean? What's it look like? What did Jesus' followers do? What are some commands in the Bible that, that we're supposed to follow as Christians? I mean, there's some things that Jesus said to do that are very specific to that circumstance that we can't do or shouldn't do, but there are a lot of things that are teachings, like the things in the Sermon on the Mount, for example, where Jesus said, this is what I expect of my followers to put into action. It's not immediate. When we get saved, we, we don't get saved, read one, Bible's, read one Bible verse and say, oh, I got a firm foundation. I'm ready. No, it's nurturing your spirit day after day with truth, looking to the foundation, a daily decision to nourish yourself with the word of God, with the teachings of the apostles, the teachings of the prophets, the teachings of Jesus as the cornerstone of our faith. It's deciding, see, you are my foundation. The teachings of your followers are my foundation as inspired by God, the Holy Spirit. And, and I want to stand on that. We're one in Christ as a household of believers and we stand together and we stand individually with Christ. Here's how it says it in Ephesians 2, 19 to 21. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So you and I, as believers, are members of the house of God. And at the foundation are the lives and the teachings of the apostles and Jesus himself as the cornerstone in our faith, holding everything into place. So my question how firm is your foundation? To what degree does your life reflect the teachings of Jesus? To what degree are you living out the things that Jesus says to do? To what degree are you living out the things that Jesus says to do? Remember, the follow-through is in the, in the parable is that one blatant difference. The foolish man did not. The wise man did. Everything external was the same. And when Jesus says, do the word of God, it's not something we should dread. It's not something we should run from. It's something we should run to. It's joyful following. It's joyful doing. Because Jesus says things like, give me your pain and I will set you free to follow me. I don't want role followers. I don't, I don't want people that say, well, I never murdered anybody, so you got to let me in. I want people that are following me, doing the things that I teach. So are you building that kind of foundation? It starts on the word of God. Does your life reflect what Jesus says to do? 
Because when the sickness comes, when the pain comes, when life gets scary, when the skeptic comes at you, when you start to doubt, are you looking to a firm foundation? May not be done yet, but you're building it. You're working at it. It's not finished, but you're working at it. And Jesus is the cornerstone. So it will not fall. You continue to build on the word of God, on doing the word of God. Stand firm in that. I invite you to pray with me as the worship team comes to close us out. Father God, I pray that you will guide us as believers to build on a firm foundation on your truths by doing what you ask us to do. It's simple. We overthink it. We overanalyze it. We interpret it differently so that we don't have to do it. But sometimes it's okay just to read your scriptures and say, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to try that. You tell me to, to, to pray for those who are evil, pray for those who persecute me, pray for those who come at me, who try to, try, those who try to tear me down, pray for those people. Huh, that doesn't make any sense to me, but I'm going to try it and see what you do. So Lord, I pray that you'll guide all of our hearts, guide our minds in knowing what it looks like to start to do your word more today and this week. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.